Hi everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Creative Rituals podcast. Really happy to be bringing this episode your way before I go into a little summer break, maybe also an autumn break, maybe it's a longer break, I'm not sure yet, but for now we have this episode to dive into. I spoke to Justin Mastin and Larissa Gasky, who are such wonderful, wonderful, deeply creative people. I as you know, really enjoyed talking about grief and thinking about what it means in these times. But this conversation really sparked something new in me. I felt so seen. I had a little cry as well. And it just also made me feel really hopeful. Um, I feel really fascinated by how the two of them write books together, um, how they collaborate and how they share what they find with the world. Their most recent book is called The Grieving Therapist, and I can highly recommend it. It was really, really cool to read, even as a non-therapist. I think it's just a great book to help process what the fuck just happened (laughs) to humanity, basically. So yeah, I hope that you'll enjoy listening as much as I did. I will be back for sure, but I can't promise exactly when. I feel at a point where I've been joyously podcasting for many many years now and I'm kind of I don't know I'm just yearning for a break I in some ways feel like I want to do more I love podcasting so much and in other ways I feel like oh I really need to just pause here and enjoy the sound of silence basically and see how I'm going to continue afterwards maybe in a new format maybe with new questions maybe with new topics I don't know, <laughs> but I'm excited and I'm so grateful for you listening. I hope that you enjoy a ton of back episodes. This is 169, so there's so much to return to if you wish. And in the meantime, thank you so much for your love, support and listening. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I had a good giggle already and I'm really, really excited to speak to two beautiful people today. Um, I have Larissa Baskey and Justine Mastin here for me, who wrote a book called um, The Grieving Therapist Together. And I really admire this book on several different levels. Firstly, I'm so impressed by two people writing a book together. That seems really, uh, really beautiful to me. And also, I really felt reading the book that it gave me so much space to reflect on things that I really needed to reflect on. So um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of stuff around grief, but also about how we're experiencing grief together, um, how we hold each other in grief. And to me, it felt like it was really feeding something visionary in me that I couldn't quite name. And I think it will keep working on me for some time to come. So yeah, I'm really grateful you you wrote it and I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe we can begin by you telling us a little bit more about your work and why you wrote this book. Yeah. Um, So the reason we wrote this book was we felt like we needed it. Um, The longer version is uh, we, we were pitching ideas for what our next book would be to our publisher. And I, Justine, threw in there, what if we wrote a book about how hard it's been the past few year- years? And Larissa said, no. I, don't I was going to say, I, Lar- I, Larissa, immediately said, no, I don't want to <laughs> do that. That sounds really hard. I was like, we're still in the middle of 
because at that point, I think we were maybe like, what, two years into the pandemic mm-hmm. um, in the United States, which is where Justine and I both live. And I I couldn't imagine writing about it while we were still so in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. But our editor, Shayna, loved the idea. <laughs> she was like, this is what people need. She's like, I have friends who are therapists. This will be so great. And this is sort of, I feel like, a hallmark of Justine's and my dynamic as friends and as family and as Mm -hmm. creative collaborators I sort of like hem and haw and Justine is like let's do it (laughs) yeah and I uh I think it's one of my my gifts and my curses that I do not do a good job of looking outward and seeing how hard something will be yes I I use my skills as a fan fiction writer and write that it's going to be fine and or fabulous. You know, sometimes you're like, it's going to be the greatest. Yeah, sure. It's not just fine. It, this is going to be award winning. Yes. <laughs> In this case, I was like, this is going to be fine. It's not going to be that hard. We're going to support each other. It's going to be great. Um, th- that, I mean, it is great. Um, it, it is. It is great. But like, I feel like that swiftly turned for us because, um, Right. I think when we were like in the final stages of getting it approved by our publisher, mm-hmm. um, my beloved dog, Marinim, to whom the book is partially dedita- dedicated, we found out she was sick with terminal cancer. And I like utterly collapsed mm-hmm. internally and externally. And I was like, Justine, you're going to have to like carry this ring to Mordor, at least in terms of like getting this through um, mm-hmm. to have it be accepted by our editor. And you did, Justine. You did a beautiful job. Thank you. Um, and I think that's just a great way of showing how experiential this book is. Mm. Not only is it experiential for the reader, but it was extremely experiential for us to write yeah. it. Every feeling you experience in that book, we felt. Yes. And we probably felt 10 other things too before we got to the beautiful nugget that we have handed you, the reader. Um I had COVID yeah. during the writing of this book. Uh, it like it just we felt all of the feelings and, while writing it. Yeah, and I feel like it's the the best thing we've ever written because yes, totally because we went through the entire gamut of the human experience in order to write it. Yeah. Yeah. So our process was suffering, Yara. <laughs> it was. It was suffering. And it was also like longing for community, longing for connection. Yeah. Um, I had to do like really intense quarantine during the first like couple of years of the pandemic because my husband and I both have pretty severe chronic illness. He has cystic fibrosis. I have asthma. And so I felt just so isolated, so cut off. And I think that's part of how we got the idea for the framing device in the book of like beginning the book in the space of traveling to community, traveling to this like circle of fellow healers, leaving, going on your independent journey and then coming back. It was very much, I mean, I think for me and I think for you too, Justine, we were trying to sort of like write the communal experience, write the community that we hoped to return to eventually. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah, I can really feel all of what you just said in reading the book. And I'm so, yeah, so in awe of the courage you found to set out on that journey in the middle of that time. So I understand you start, started writing about two years in. And I also want to let listeners know we're recording this in June 2023. I always yeah. like to say that because I think podcasts are such a beautiful archive and, you know, yeah. people will listen to this year, years from now. And so it's nice to locate mm -hmm. ourselves in time and space. Um, I think courage is a word that I was thinking a lot about while reading, not just because, uh, you know, what you just described, it, it really takes courage to, to touch grief in this deep way. And I also know from my own creative practice that often when we commit to a bigger project like this, you know, more things will come our way to really mm -hmm. test what we're trying to say. And then you're in it. <laughs> There's kind of no way back. But um yeah, I mean, this is this next one is such a big question. So I'm really leaving open to you whether you want to tell us about a small nugget or, you know, talk about it in big strokes. You can really do it either way. But I wonder if you had to say, like, what did the pandemic and the writing of this book teach you about grief? Is there something that comes to mind? I know, right? Wow. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> small nuggets, big strokes. Mm -hmm. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, Larissa, would you like to? Would I like to take this from... one first? I, I mean, as our I... as our dynamic duos, holder of the feelings. <laughs> um, this is actually taking me back to Justine and I recently. Um, <clears throat> recently, as in like last week in space and time, um, did our first in person, like book lecture, I suppose, based on mm -hmm. a grieving therapist. Um, and so while we were like prepping our slide deck and like going through our notes, I don't remember which one of us said this first, Justine, but I think we were both like really landing on this idea of grief being necessary for lasting change. Mm -hmm. That was Surface. you. That was all oh. you. You take okay, that credit. Well, thank you for giving me that credit, friend. I really appreciate it. Because um, like, I think surface level change sometimes something can, it can seem like someone's changing or something is changing, but real deep internal emotional change such, such that like what you desire is actually different. What you do or don't believe is different. What you do or don't want or like, or can hold space for that kind of change in writing this book, I think we realized really only comes from grief and like the courage to fully grieve and give yourself over to that kind of intense emotional process that lasts a super long time. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you brought that up, I, I was reflecting because my, my first instinct to be like, no, I change whenever I feel like it. I'm an autonomous human being, um, which sure. But the times that I've made huge sweeping deep change in my life have been after or during grief, you know, yeah. when my, my father died in 2009 and I was a very different human then. Um, and being faced with this, this is the only life we get that we know about. How do you feel about how you're living yours? Mm -hmm. And the answer I discovered was, I don't feel like this is the depth of living I can be living. And I feel like each time I'm handed grief, 
um, we came up with this this beautiful imagery after the book that literally just last week hanging out together, we came up with something. This is why we love working together. Um, I, I'm from the school of therapeutic thought that meaning is created through dialogue. So we have to work together in order to create meaning. I couldn't possibly work by myself. Um, the image is if you're holding death in one hand, what do you need to hold in the other in order to balance that out? Yeah. And the answer I have been given many times is something more, something different. We, we might need to change because now we're holding death in this hand. Oh, yeah. I love that a lot. Thank you. Um, I think it reminds me also... Um, or, or rather, I'll say, I think when I first encountered grief, I really needed to be reminded that there's so much joy and curiosity and hope that can coexist with grief. And I think at the kind of at like the crossroad where we have a choice, you know, we have lost something and then we can choose, am I going to try and numb this experience or am I really going to go into it? Um, you really need to see people and witness other people like we get to do in your book who've gone really deep into the grief and have come out to build the trust that that is possible and that the depth to which you, you know, accept it doesn't mean that it necessarily becomes harder or even impossible to come out of it again. Mm -hmm. And I love the symbolism of the hand and that, you know, we get to hold other things at the same time. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> um, and I love, I love that you just highlighted, Yaro, that there can be, there can be like real joy in death and in grieving and in loss. And I'm like pausing. So I'm like, can I tell the story without like utterly falling to pieces? I don't know. We're going to find it's, out. You know what? I would love to give you permission to get a little weepy. <laughs> to fall to pieces. If, well, if that's what is real and what is here. Because we're not going to um, let you stay in pieces. Oh. Now I'm just like going to start bawling right there. Because I'm like, what beautiful held space <laughs> of compassionate friendship. Um. What you saying that made me think of Yarrow about like death and joy coexisting and maybe grief being the bridge between the two of them is when It's like so hard to talk about this because I want to like share the story so much, but also every time I think of it, so many parts of me just like begin internally weeping. Um, but when Marinem, who was my family's just like beloved dog who was dying during like the first, when we were first trying to write some of the first chapters, when she was dying, um, I, we decided like because of like her pain and all that, that we were going to have um, a wonderful veterinarian come to our home and um, ease her passing. So in the States, we call it like putting your, your animal to sleep. Um, and I remember like really struggling with this choice, my partner and I, and we were like on a walk when um, veterinary hospice called and like talking through like signs and symptoms. And they were like, well, like you scheduled the vet to come out. And then they'll like assess kind of where you're at, where Marinim's at, and we'll like make a choice together. And and I'm on the phone 
talking this through while my partner and I were on a walk with Marinem. And as soon as I like scheduled the day for the nurse to come out, which it turned out was going to be the winter solstice, um, she she had this like howl that she would make when she was like really, really happy. And that was the howl that she made when I like confirmed and set the date. And at the time I was like, oh no, does this mean she's like getting better? And I'm, am I making the wrong choice? And it was, I think it was that same day that like the vet came and it was, it was so clear at that point that it was like Marinem's, Marinem's time that she was ready. And after the fact, after she had died, my, my partner reminded me of that. And he was like, you know, I don't think that it meant that she was like getting better in a classical wellness sense at all. He was like, I think that she was, she felt joy that we, that she knew that like we were ready to walk with her as she crossed over and that we weren't going to try and like keep her and continue her suffering. Oh, Larissa, thank you so much for telling that story. I got a bit weepy alongside you. Um, that is such a big loss and I I definitely needed to hear that today. I have an older dog too, and I have encountered, mm -hmm. you know, started thinking about that choice one day this year. And I find it so helpful to hear other people talk about it because I need to bring it into my consciousness. And I I don't want that to be like a, a surprise one day, you know. And so yeah. I'm so grateful for people um who are willing to have those conversations. Um death is so still so taboo I mean that that could be a whole other podcast oh, episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah thank you um I um I really love how much support and guidance you are offering or reflections as well for people who support others in their grieving process mm -hmm. and I I'm sure that you had um you know maybe specific people audiences in mind as you were writing the book um and again, this is also like a really broad question. So again, take this wherever you like. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you're holding your own grief and really exploring these different approaches and ideas and um the creativity of that, I wonder like what are your dreams or visions for healing professions as a whole? Or like what do you wish for us coming out of the pandemic, still being in it? still having collectively so much to process and grow and integrate you know like what would you love to see next for us <laughs> casual question <laughs> oh, yeah I, I mean broad, broad strokes a revolution is what I would like to see <laughs> yeah. um, because as we were talking about change coming through grief mm -hmm. this is such an invitation to us as helping professionals, whether we be therapists, veterinarians, doctors, coaches, nurses, teachers, yeah, whatever your field of helping is, we have been crushed into these boxes, at least in America, by third party payers, by insurance, um, rules, roles, boundaries that we have been told we need to live inside of. Mm -hmm. that are antithetical to healing and yeah. we wonder why people in helping professions burn out well, what, what the hell are you 
you talking about? Of course we're burning out. You're taking these these beautiful little bunnies and placing them in cages they can't turn around in. And they're like, why aren't they helping people better? Why are they sad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just like anything else, we get the opportunity to speak truth to power. We've been told as helpers that we're supposed to want to help and we're supposed to take our burdens. We're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to suffer and not be paid appropriately and be exploited. Why can't you just be happy bunnies in your two small cages? And my invitation is let's bust out of those cages because there's way more of us than there are of the people that are trying to keep us in those cages And even if you don't feel ready to have a full-scale revolution, are you ready to start to question the social constructs that have been created around what it means Mm. to be a helper? Yeah. Because that in itself is activism, questioning the status quo. And I'm going to say it, Larissa, because the status is not quo. (laughs) I, I think it was a beautiful buildup to that thank you. to that quote. Thank you. She <laughs> she lets me get one in a quarter. Yes. So as an aside, our first book, which was um, Starship Therapies, using therapeutic fan fiction to rewrite your life, um, still out there, folks. If you'd love to read it, we'd love for you to read it. Um, but in that book, probably maybe not every fifth paragraph, but like every chapter, Justine was like, "Can I use this quote?" And I was like, "No." You can use it once in the whole book. We can't do it every single time. I was like, once in the whole book? That's like 300 pages and only one the status is not quite. And then I was like, but think about the power you'll build to this moment. (laughs) Um, And I think you said that really beautifully, Justine. The only thing I would add, I think, to sit alongside it is an invitation to folks in the helping professions to question that status quo and really really get support around saying what is pain and suffering that's coming from dysfunctional, unhealthy systems. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is to say like pain and suffering that's coming from systems. And like, we are, our, our, our way to change that is not going to be like equivalent to that systemic oppression Mm -hmm. because we are individuals in the face of that system. And so I think it can be really helpful to get really clear on like, where is this coming from? Is this coming from a system? And being able to really name that. And then that can be a doorway, an illumination into really sitting with and realizing what can I do as an individual? What is the change that I want to be a part of each and every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that change might be opting out of a system that is calling, causing you moral injury. And yeah. in the book, we make the distinction between burnout and moral injury. You know, burnout is that which we have control over. Moral injury is, is the system pressing down on us yeah. with a pressure against which we cannot fight or we, we can't fight enough to press it back. Yeah. And that we certainly cannot fight against alone. Mm-hmm. There it is. <laughs> I was nodding a lot uh, along there. And yeah, I also feel that like 
this practice of building confidence in our own grief is so crucial for the revolution that we want because, you know, really changing things on a deep foundational level is going to require the collapse or deconstruction of things that have been a part of our lives for a long time. And it can be hard sometimes to trust that process, especially if we can't see the next thing yet, or if we have to trust that we're working towards something that is, uh, you know, yeah, not quite within reach yet, and maybe not even our lifetimes, but yet it's so worthwhile walking towards it still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> on on the like the realm of deconstructing sy systems I'm gonna plug a book that is not our book but that I read as part of like my research and preparation for writing the grieving therapist it's a tough book friends so like not light reading I want to be clear on that from the outset but um this was also published by North Atlantic books books it's called hospicing modernity I wondered if you were gonna plug hospicing modernity I love this book so much. It is, it was like gut wrenching to read, but it really does like it, it does what you're talking about Yaro in the sense that it, it really, it, it takes a reader in and, and shows them all the different systems that are hurting us and hurting our planet. Um, and really invites us to sit down with like the stark realities of like what it's going to take to change those systems. I am so willing to read that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is casual summer beach reading, I guess. Yeah, definitely take that the to the beach. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Um, well, the next question is a little bit more practical. Um, I know that you're covering so much more in your book, but if someone is listening now and they're curious and it makes sense to them and they want to make more space for grief in their life, whether they're a healing practitioner or not, you know, or maybe you can speak to both. Um, what is a good starting point for you, usually for people that you work with when they ask you this question? Is there something that comes to mind? Uh, how, I just want to make sure I'm understanding, like, how are they deepening their relationship with grief? Yeah, maybe. Or I think the situation I have in mind is that sometimes when I bring grief into a conversation, I'm like, hey, should we have a cry together? <laughs> like, what are you thought about? <laughs> what, what is the shape of grief in your life right now? And people right. are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you and Larissa would get along so well. <laughs> we super would. And actually, I think this is like, this is something that happens between Justine and I a lot because mm -hmm. I am the feeler of our dynamic duo. Oh, I'm so like, true. I'm like, let's have a good cry. Let's be with our feelings. Um, and this was true of our first book, uh, Starship Therapies, but it was even truer of this book, The Grieving Therapist, that like when we would sit down to write it, we would usually sit down together um, and we write because we, we don't live in the same space. So we like write over FaceTime, which is to say over video call. We like call each other up. We get our like shared Google doc going and then we're like, all right, let's do this thing. And like sitting down and, and, and writing this book meant that like you started the day with like big feelings. And there were some days where Justine would look at me and be like, no, we're just going to sit down and write. That's all we're going to do. And I was like, I hear that. And also, it seems like you're having a feeling that might inform this chapter. And usually then she would get pretty pissed. Yeah. Yeah. The feeling I was then feeling was anger. Sadness's bodyguard was in right. full effect. Yeah. Was in full effect. And this is often what I see in like my clinical work with clients too. And so like, that means that like, actually the grieving is already happening. 
if you're like angry about that process, it's like, yay, you're, you've opened the door, you've started it. Do I always say that to folks? Not always, but sometimes. You don't um, say so it when, to me. <laughs> well, actually, no, it's really good that you don't say it to me. I'd be like, you'd be mad. So mad. You'd be like, how dare you? And no, when you're mad, I'm just like, okay, so you're having that feeling. Let's make space for it or something like that. Or sometimes I'll just like do my compassionate face. And then because we have a lot of trust in our relationship, usually within the first 30 seconds to a minute, then Justine just starts crying. And then she's mad while she's crying. She's like, I hate you for doing this to me. Yeah, I, you know, I was, I was born at the tail end of the 70s. Um, <laughs> and I was reared at a time when, you know, don't, don't cry. Uh, mm. Nobody should be crying. Um, I have distinct memories of my, you know, my father saying the things about, you know, well, crying about it isn't going to do any good. Um and that sort of thing. And, and those, those parts, those memories still live inside of me. And the way I've made sense of it as I've gotten older is like, I'm really into punk rock music. And I'm like, we should be yelling about how mad we are, which of course is a type of grief, but I much prefer that, which people always think is funny. Cause they're like, you're a therapist. Aren't you all about feelings? I'm like, yeah, I'm all about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but when I got COVID yeah. while we were writing this book, I could not lean in to my anti-authoritarian punk rock parts. They were not here. Mm -mm. No, I had no distress tolerance. I, I fell into a major depressive episode which is very common with COVID and especially with long COVID. It's not a thing that we talk about societally. Um, I was lucky enough to have a friend who was like, hey, just so you know, um, when I got the diagnosis, she was like, hey, I, just so you know, nobody's talking about this, but like, this is happening. So I was glad I got a little bit of a heads up that it might happen to me. And it did. Um, and so we had to shift when we were writing because for whatever reason my depression was worse on Mondays and got better yeah. throughout the week yeah that's true we had a lot of just like crying phone calls on Mondays yeah because typically Monday was our writing day mm -hmm. but we would log on to our phone call and I would just I could not do it I would start to yeah. type and I would just start bawling and then I would feel bad about the bawling and then Ooh. <clears throat> and we're far afield from the question you asked, Yarrow. Um <laughs> But this this is Don't what worry. we do. I'll loop us back around. That's Ooh. so great. Um but I when I introduce the idea of grief to clients, I really lean hard into the power of meaning making and how if we're sad about something, it means it's important to us. And yeah. that that might be an invitation to pay attention to something that is meaningful to us. And maybe there's more meaning in our lives than we even realized if we're experiencing this level of grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to add to that and to like sort of loop back to your question, Yara, which is like, how do we begin to make space with grief with others? Um, I think like checking for consent can be really helpful and important. It's something that like Justine and I have learned to do 
a lot in part because I'm like all about the feelings and she's like, what the hell? Um, so like, we'll check for consent with each other around like upsetting issues and like upsetting topics. Like she'll text me sometimes and be like, do, can you hold space for a sad feeling? And I'll be, and, and often like, she'll even be more detailed and be like, this is a sad feeling about me, or it's a sad feeling about someone you don't know. And then I can like make the energetic, I can make an informed energetic choice. And sometimes my response will be, yes, I can do it now. Or like, no, I have like four more clients. Can we do it like in the evening or tomorrow? Um, and like trust is so, is such a crucial component of like when you're looking for safe grieving community, because grief is so messy. Once you kind of like open the door for those feelings, it can just like blow through your physical being. So making sure that like you really trust the person or, or people that you're going to invite in to be present with you to like love you even as you're messy. And sometimes that, I mean, often that can feel like a really tall order like trusting someone enough or feeling like you have enough trust to let them see you be messy. Um, and it's such a beautiful and I think rare and wonderful thing when you have those, those folks in your life and they may be human or they may be non-human. You know, we don't want to be species specific here. I love your friendship. It's so inspiring. I wanted, as I was listening, I was like, oh God, what if you two had like a Sesame style, Sesame Street style talk show where you explain feelings to people would not be the best? Um, you yes. just described what I want the rest of my life to be. Uh, <laughs> I have often been described as being rather Muppety. Um, and so... This Muppety human hanging out with actual Muppets with my best that. friend in the whole world. Mm. That's Just crying right together there. at the end of every episode. <laughs> no, it's it's you crying and me being like, I won't feel feelings. <laughs> and there would be like this blue grumpy guy who lives, you know, and he's he's sad, but yeah. we don't accept him. Hopefully. <laughs> And then we would hang out with the That's cookie right. monster and we would all eat our feelings and go like. <laughs> and we talk about how it it's okay to eat feelings. And yeah. also, you know, it's okay to talk about them too. We have options. We could go through the, um, the decision tree. Am I sad or am I hungry? <laughs> yeah. And whatever the answer is, is fine. But we're just getting curious. It's true. <laughs> that's beautiful yeah oh my god so often in life I'm like encountering real different difficulty and I'm like oh I just needed a snack that's really <laughs> no it's so true yeah uh -huh. yes that happened to me this morning because I was like prepping for all these things including our talk and then I was like oh suddenly I feel this wave of wave of nausea and then I took a beat and I was like oh that's because we haven't eaten yet there it is let's have a biscuit <laughs> and then I did and I felt much better <laughs> Mm, I, I love this idea. And I, Yaro, I want to say thank you because I've been saying for years to Larissa that we need to have a television show. And she says, what would it be about? And I say, don't worry about it because that's what I do. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think you may have given us some direction. <laughs> you have. I'm honored. That's that's so great. Thank you. <laughs> um, before I loved I love what you said about you know the things that we don't talk about enough and one of them being like you know many people who are in, going through a COVID infection really have experienced depression and sometimes for a long time mm -hmm. what else is yeah. there that you want more people to know or talk about if you 
if you could be on on the actual television <laughs> what would you say what you would oh, want people to know I I want I want people to talk uh, I want people just to talk more you know mm. uh, something that I see with clients um especially with couples or people talking about their partners is my partner should just know what I need my partner should just mm. know yes and I call this rom-com disorder um, you've watched too many romantic comedies um, because we have to talk about things like when yeah. would you like to have physical sexual contact with your partner? It's not going to be a magic look and a song starts because your partner maybe has a big project due at work and this is not what they're thinking about. You know, you're looking at them thinking, oh, my partner looks pretty hot. I, I think sex would be nice right now. And they're thinking my slide deck is all out of order. <laughs> and, and I know for some people that doesn't feel sexy because it's, it's not what they see in the movies. But mm. having a conversation to be like, hey, partner, I think you look really sexy today. I'm thinking it might be nice to engage in some physical sexual contact later which you say however you say, um, probably right. not exactly like that. And then your partner can say, oh, wow, partner, I had no idea that's what you were thinking about. I was thinking about my slide deck. Now that you mention it, I could be down for that. Uh, but like, how about at 830? <laughs> so can, can we verbalize to normalize? Verbalize to normalize is like my catchphrase. Um, can we talk about the fact True. that we're tired? that we don't want to have sex or we don't want to have this conversation or we don't want to have uh, vegan meatballs for dinner. Just, can we just verbalize and, and let people see us have thoughts, feelings, and opinions so that they go, oh, am I allowed to have thoughts, feelings, and opinions? And before you know it, we can have a whole society that when you ask someone to do something, they give you a real response that they have thought about and it is authentic and true. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I think in in delightful fashion, what I'm gonna name, I think like dovetails really nice with what you were saying, Justine, which is um Something that struck me in like the research that I did for the grieving therapist is, or something that I learned while doing that research is that in fact, human beings period as a species, we are very sensitive to all, like in general, like, and of course there's going to be gradations in terms of like whether you're neurotypical or how or where you fall on the sort of like neurotypical or atypical spectrum. But like in general as a species, we're actually far more sensitive to sights, sounds, smells, physical sensations, and feelings, then I think our modern world would lead us, lead us to believe. And in fact, some of like the trappings of our modern world that like give us distance from the hardships of like living in nature are a product of that sensitivity. Like we've created systems and structures to give us distance and space from uncomfortable feelings and physical sensations. But by doing that, we're actually limiting our ability 
to connect with each other and with other species and to really be present. So how can we start to like mindfully and slowly because certainly one of the like real joys and gifts of my friendship with Justine is I've learned that sometimes I can be like too hard, too fast about these things. I'm like, let's take all of the barriers off and just like dive into those feelings, right? And just seems like, wow, it's 9 a.m. No. So yeah, how can yeah. We, like staying at a hotel with Larissa. <laughs> she's going to read you the night's terrible headlines first thing in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So still learning in that area. But like, so what do we need <laughs> to like slowly start to transition ourselves as individuals and as a society so that like we can actually be more present to one another and to other species? Because then we're going to be more present to the impact that we're having. And then we're going to feel like change is not going to be so much of a choice in terms of some of our systemic structures. It's going to feel like it's a necessity because we're present with the pain that these systems are causing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I have one more thing and I could probably go on forever. We, we could keep saying things we want people to talk about, but, but uh, one of both of our, uh pet projects is inviting adults to play mm, and yes. letting go of the stigma of play for adults um because play is a form of spirituality to to my mind you know the spiritual is that which fills us up and play really fills us up um and so i uh, if if people take some things away from this conversation i hope one of them is you have not only do you have permission to play you need it we all need it and that play can look however it looks to you it doesn't have to be societally sanctioned play like you're you're allowed to play rugby but you're not allowed to play with dolls like why there's nothing like inherently adult about rugby you're getting hurt we hurt each other as children too children are kind of chaotic i don't know if you've met them (laughs) that is so true i loved so much of what you you covered so much ground again i love the idea of um verbalizing to normalize definitely gonna use that kind of want to make it the title of the episode but I feel like that's not going to direct people towards your book in the best <laughs> way but I do love it <laughs> and yes you're right um there's so much in communication but also in attuning to how much capacity we actually have and to trust it being you know ebbing and flowing and to be present with that too I'm thinking a lot about how I engage with news at the moment especially just this weekend you know there was this whole situation in Russia and I'm just so easy to really, just so easily get really sucked in and feel this need to really stay up to date at all times. And I think when I compare that to 20 years ago, when I was a teenager, first becoming curious about politics and the news, like the engagement was so different. Media was so different. And Mm -hmm. my pet peeve at the moment is uh, videos that autoplay. That is like the end right <laughs> you go somewhere and you want to read something and you want to understand something but three videos start playing before you even have really taken in the headlines and I just am so sad about what that does to our nervous system so thank you for naming that 
<laughs> you too I can't tell you this was such a fun conversation I feel like we could really go on I'm really excited to share your thoughts and your book with the world I hope you'll write many more I really oh, hope there will be emotional sesame street at some point in the future <laughs> oh I love this idea so much <laughs> you brought just in so much joy it's true <laughs> the beginning of my week so much joy <laughs> Um, I'll be linking to your work in the show notes, but do you maybe want to share with people where they can find you and find out more? Yes. So if folks are interested in uh, my my day-to-day life and want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter still at Mind Body Fandom because I take a holistic approach to healing mind, body, and fandom. Uh, <laughs> Larissa and I um, also have a podcast called Starship Therapies, um, which is all about the intersection of pop culture and psychology. And uh, we talk about all different types of stories and how they can help you in your own life. We will soon be doing a whole uh, season, not season's not the word I want to look, arc, a whole arc. Mini series arc about the grieving therapist and what it was Mm -hmm. like sort of like behind the scenes with each chapter. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Larissa, where can people find you? Um, Not many places, honestly, because social media is really hard on my nervous system. (laughs) (laughs) So I think like the best place to find me is going to be, um, things that are related to our projects. So like Justine mm-hmm. mentioned, um, Starship Therapies is available on like Twitter and Instagram. I always forget our underscores. So Justine, I'm going to ask you to do that. Um, and then we also have the Grieving Therapist Instagram account, which Justine- At Grieving underscore therapist. And what is Starship Therapies again? At Starship Therapies? uh justine is gonna check and while she checks I'm, I'm really not on twitter so much anymore i think i'm like it's, it's like the long goodbye for me but if for whatever reason you're like maybe i still want to check out larissa i'm available there at spock's all ears um because i'm very spock like um our insta for starship is starship underscore therapies apparently i like doing underscores because we both know i was in charge <laughs> of making those handles <laughs> that's true and I so appreciate that you do (laughs) beautiful thank you so much I will definitely tune into your podcast as well that sounds incredible I'm so grateful you two are in the world doing doing what you do thank you so much for talking to me thank you this was a wonderful conversation (laughs) it was really